we have to get past this notional idea that that agile is just about empowering teams and and just letting the teams figure it out. I don't think that it was ever like, oh, okay, we're going to self-organize a complex system at scale, or we're going to we're going to self-organize refactoring, you know, a complex thing at scale with no design intent or whatever. Yeah. You know, so it's like, yes, I just think we're just in a funny place. It's like where everything is still possible and everything's still out in front of us. But, um, but I think the Agile community in some ways has kind of worked its way into a corner. Hey, this is Dave Pryor. Welcome to Leading Agile Sound Notes. Mike Kottmeyer is back. Mike, thank you for taking time out of your morning. What's up, Dave? How you doing, man? Thanks for having me always. I, I'm I'm good. I have no idea what we're going to talk about, though. So I'm a little well, bit. So I'm going to interview you this confused. morning. Okay, so, I'm no, ready. It's, it's, it's super cool, right? So you know, just for everybody's uh, you know edification, it, it's kind of funny. Dave and I are actually getting into a pretty uh, solid routine of we're really trying to do one of these once a week, right? There's just so much to talk about that hasn't been talked about over the last couple of years, and uh, it's so sometimes Dave will will come to me with topics. Sometimes I'll come with Dave with topics. Um, and so I sent Dave a topic brief uh, earlier this morning for what I want to talk about. And uh, I said, I'm going to interview you instead <laughs> you interviewing me. So we'll actually get started. I have a question for you to start with, but then we will see where it goes, right? Okay. So, yeah. so one of the things I've been thinking about a lot, right, is I was up in, uh, up in Raleigh a couple weeks ago at the Triadro Conference. And okay. I was doing a talk on you know, how to create a culture of agility, right? And you know, kind of my general bent, right? I believe that like, you got to get the teaming strategies, you know, then you got to get the practices and then culture kind of emerges within that, right? Yep. It gets into the whole thing we talk about all the time, teams, backlogs, working tested software. And, you know, the very first time I introduced the idea of teams, backlogs, working tested software was at a scrum gathering Daniel Gulo had invited me to. And 500 mm -hmm. people in the room, he put, he packed the room out for me. It was like super cool. And... Right. And I asked people, right? I mean, we all know Scrum kind of requires, what, five to seven, six to eight, whatever the rule is. Um, ten or less now, officially. Well, what is that? Ten or less. Officially now, ten it's or, ten or less. Ten or less. Okay, cool. Yeah. yeah, just rules of thumb, right, at the end of the day. And every single time I walk into a large room at an Agile conference and I describe what a team in Scrum looks like and ask people to raise their hand, I mean, how many people have teams like this? Of hundreds of people, you'll get a very small handful of people that are yep. um, that are able to form those kinds of teams. Yep. And and what was what was and this is the thing that kind of like got me thinking. And I probably have three or four other examples, both inside leading agile and outside of leading agile and LinkedIn conversations I've had. But I'll start here. Is the comments one of the agile coaches I've known for forever said something to the effect of like. Um, well, when we go in to do Agile, we can't change how the teams are formed. And I went, if you can't change the, how the teams are formed, like right. how are you ever going to make this work, right? Yeah. So I guess my question for you is, is I got to figure that's a pretty consistent challenge or question that you yeah. get asked in your CSM classes. Yeah. How do you even begin to approach? They don't even that? ask. That's I, I think that's the the biggest part is they don't even ask anymore. They're just like, yeah, but I am Scrum Master slash Product Owner slash Team Member, or yes, everyone on my team is on eight different teams, or you know, all those all those bad dysfunctional combinations. Those are like the hits that never go away, like Beach Boy songs. Um, yeah, and the people 
I guess there's sort of like a little bit of learned helplessness there where the people that, that are in coming into classes now, they don't even think to challenge it. It's just like, this is my reality. Whereas five years ago, they would have been like fighting against it. 10 years ago, they would have been like an open rebellion. Um, oh, fasc- you know, that's a fascinating out. thing. So talk to me about that. So 10 years ago, an open rebellion. What is yeah. that? What did that look? What did that look like? What do those conversations look like? Uh, people, one of my lights went out. I'm hoping that's still okay. Um, people back then in the classes or in agile in general, I, there was just like this sense of uprising. Like we're going to turn the system over. We're going to make everything different. And, yeah. um, that uh, there's waves of people that come through the classes. Like that, that wave has been gone for a while. All the revolutionaries okay. have, have either become coaches or given up in despair or have yeah. gone on to Valhalla. Um, well, it was a, it was called a manifesto, I think, for yeah. a reason, right? right? You know, it was a call to, yeah. call to revolution, right? Yeah. Yeah. People now don't – I my impression is they don't see how they can create change. I mean this is – I just did a podcast for my other show about this recently where um, they know things need to change at the level above them. Mm-hmm. They do not have the agency, Yeah. right? To, to come to the person who, who's in charge and say, like, you've got to stop this. Um, and so this is an unfortunate thing. And maybe you can give a good response to this since you're at yeah. a higher level in the org. My responses are, like, you can do it on the side and not tell anybody. You can, mm-hmm. you know, hope it succeeds and then ask for permission. Or yeah. um, you can keep fighting a battle with people who don't even understand what you're battling against and don't care about the struggle you're having. Or you can go work somewhere else. And it's really depressing yeah. because like for me, that was, I mean, how I ended up going to BV and then deleting out to was, I just got tired of being in places that kept pretending they were going to do it, but not giving us what we needed to be able to do it like stable teams. So, so like, you know, the way that we kind of approach it is that, and, and it's evolved, it's evolved from a transformation perspective as well too, I think. It's like we, you know, we've been in market for years now, even before I started leading Agile, talking about you know, what I'll generally refer to a lot is like first principles. Mm-hmm. And, and so I, I kind of say that, you know, we're like a hammer looking for nails, right? So I talk about teams, backlogs, working tests of software. I talk about systems first, the so systems and practices and culture. Um, we talk about transformation and in the presence of dependencies, you have to have compensating controls. As you start to break dependencies, you can, you know, so, so I, I feel like, uh, it, it's kind of funny cause I've, you know, hopefully people notice I've been creating a lot more content lately. I've got, I've just, it's, I've, I kind of took a little bit of a hiatus for a few years while my wife was sick with leukemia and, uh, and, uh, she's totally recovered now. So like, I've got some creative energy back to talk about these things. But but as I've reconnected with the community, I'm getting out and I'm speaking more. It blows me away that that we're largely in the same place <laughs> psychologically that we've been for 12, 13, 20 years, something like that. Right. And and so like what we typically do is, you know, we talk about first principles about how to make it work. Um, you know, we've been on a kick for years now. I mean, one, some of our best performing content is, you know, we've done various revisions of it. You know, basically it's like why Agile fails and what we can do about it. Yeah. And, you know, I think there's enough evidence that Agile works out there. Um, and there's also not a credible alternative to it at this point. Um, and so it's like, it's like people still believe and, and they're looking for an answer as to why, um, why they've been struggling for so long. 
Like we just, okay. we just, um, we just started with a client. Um, it should be a rather large client over the next couple of years um, to do a global transformation for them. And, and, you know, their comment to us is why we got selected is we were like the only person that they had talked to or the only group that they had talked to that actually had a credible strategy mm-hmm. for how to do this. Right. And yeah. so it's so, it's so there's like a couple things that have shifted, right? So, so we talk about this, we've been talking about it for years. And so when people get at their wits in and they've tried this a couple of times and they're looking for, they want a hypothesis. They want to know why it's been so hard. They want to know why they weren't able to just do it. And right. then we kind of tell them and we actually have a credible plan for how to, how mm-hmm. to create teams and, you know, do all the things that we talk about. They're, they're willing to kind of suspend disbelief and give it a try. But I'll tell you, you know, one of the things that we had to start doing years ago, and it's when we started doing really big transformations um, that were C-suite um, led transformations. And we had to, we had to start um, being able to measure progress on the transformations. And we had to start being able to economically justify the transformations. Right. So, so a lot of our conversations, it's like agile is like you could almost have like 95% of the conversation without ever talking about agility, right? What it is, okay. it's like it's like economic prioritization of initiatives, understanding what the capacity of the organization is, making sure that we're bringing capacity and demand. There's a there's a phrase that we're we're talking about a lot that's called value density. And it's like, so like in any given initiative, right, we know that, you know, probably 15, 20% of it is what's giving you most of the value, right? right. So through uh, appropriate decomposition of features and focusing on minimally viable product kinds of things, making sure that we're delivering the smallest thing that will possibly work, right, we can drive value density up. Um, a lot of times, you know, we're talking about how to connect to like strategic um you know, business drivers, OKRs, KPIs, things like that. And if you can take like an organization's OKRs, understand how that maps down into the underlying business architecture, where there's constraints in the systems, how do you create a program and portfolio governance that satisfies those? And then, but at the end of the day, like the answer to all that stuff is team level agile um, orchestration right. mechanism at the portfolio level, orchestration mechanism, at the program level, small batches, decomposition, right? All the things we talk about, but, but the, but it has to be like really, really solidly connected Mm -hmm. to the economic outcomes in the company. And, and the other thing that that we're seeing quite a bit is that um, the transformation work has to cost justify itself. And so, um, you know, a lot of organizations are really overloaded with um, people doing the wrong kinds of things. Uh, Sometimes there's capitalization issues that you have to deal with. Um, yeah, so there's just a lot of stuff. So like, so in order for us to be able to have credible conversations, it's not just like, Hey, let's do agile, let's do scrum, let's do safe or whatever. It's, it's like, let's have, let's talk about what an operating model looks like that is going to actually solve your business problems. And, and when you can frame it that way with the right level of people in the organization, then you're, then you're able to, to, um, to have those conversations. Okay. Um, but I, but I do think in practice, right. Um, you know, kind of our strategy is I, th- I think 90% of the people, 95% of the people that probably come through your class, you're right. Don't have the agency. Um, yeah. but you know, they can be pointers, right. And pointers to us, they can be pointers yeah. to other people. Right. And, and then, and then, you know, you get in, you have like a credible plan for how to do it. Yep. 
Right? So, yeah, that's kind of how we're thinking about it. So can you know, I throw thing, a – Yeah, yeah okay. please, please. Yeah, I want to no, throw you. a big wrench into everything you just said and see what happens. Okay, cool. Um, I – I do. I agree with everything you said. I think there's definitely a maturation in the the way that they're looking at the work and trying to understand the work. Yeah. But I'm also getting this vibe from the space in general that maybe it's coming out of the pandemic or just change fatigue or whatever. But there's all those companies that are ditching scrum masters and switching back to a technical mm -hmm. program manager, which is mm -hmm. an experienced agile transformation coach with traditional project management background and yeah. several years of software development experience, who knows design yeah. thinking, which doesn't exist anywhere. Yeah. It's like, they're well, so not, tired of trying to, well, they're so tired of trying to improve that they're, they're trying to go back to like their old girlfriend. Like, well, go well, back so to like, Waterfall because it's comfortable. Well, it well, doesn't I, work, I but it's comfortable. Well, I, I agree with you, but it's, it's, it's like I think, what's, I think what's happening, right? So let's unpack this because I, 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 I wasn't really kind of thinking about going in this direction. But I think this is a really good direction to go. Okay. So, so think about what's happened, right? It's like, this, it's like you talked about revolutionaries and, you know, we've had like a lot of agile enthusiasts and things like that. <laughs> now it's like, like the no-no things. Like the idealistic – like the idealistic way of thinking about this is where we're going to teach people how to do scrum. We're going to give them all the right roles. They're going to identify their impediments. The system's going to improve over time and it's all going to be kind of rainbows and butterflies. Yeah. And, and I'm not saying that that can't work. I'm just saying that in practice, it often doesn't. Right. So what yeah. I think companies are trying to do is that they're not, they're not seeking the, the ideal anymore. Right. They're not We're just good enough. Like the, well, well, but like, so you think about it, it's a little bit like what we talked about with this, with the safe podcast that we did. It's like, it's like, are you trying to do agile as described by the 17 signatories of the agile manifesto? Mm -hmm. Are you trying to do the, the small team methodologies or mm -hmm. are you trying to create greater business agility? And so, and so think about it, right? So you came out of a PMI background. I came out of a PMI background. Yeah. Right. The way that we do software project management, I don't actually think is typically consistent with the Pembine. Like when I think about like how you decompose work and the kinds of things that you would put into a Gantt chart, like you're mm -hmm. supposed to put work packages in there. Yeah. These are things that have economic value. Right. So when we yep. start to do schedule variance and cost variance, it's like what we're measuring is value created um, against um, money spent. Yeah. And but the way that that gets applied in practice is it's like we put I always go back to this one really ridiculous story, but I think it's actually pretty consistent. It was one of my first clients when I started leading Agile back in 2010. And there was like this project plan they showed me that was it was like 400 lines and mm -hmm. and like all of the lines were like meetings and deliverables and you know, different activities. And then there was like a six week line item that was like, write the software. I just thought that was really funny. Right. <laughs> Cause like everything that added value to what they were doing was a single line item in like a 300, yeah. 400 line project plan. Right. Yeah. And, and that's where all the risk was. That's where all the uncertainty was. That's where all the, the need for validation and testing and all that kind of stuff was. Right. Yeah. And, and so like, if you, if you did a, like a traditional Gantt chart, like, like, like imagine your Gantt chart was like, was like epics that were mm -hmm. decomposed into features that were decomposed into user stories and you yeah. Gantt charted out the entire 
And decompose created. the user stories into the tasks needed to create yeah. the, the Yeah, solution. for sure, yeah. right? And then, I've done that. And, yeah, I've done I've done that too, right? And then and then you project manage that using our yeah. value and all kinds of things. So it's it's not agile per se, right? Um, right? But it's but it's incremental. It's iterative. It creates the opportunity to inspect and adapt and to learn and to change and to rebaseline things and all those different kinds of things. So yep. I, I think what you're seeing in in that um, in that move to to get rid of scrum masters. Is is a um, is a move towards a more pragmatic take okay. on what is it? What does agility mean? Yeah. Rather than pure play agile, pure play scrum. Because, like, okay. I mean, it's like we work with lots of companies, and I, I will tell you, um, you know, incumbent scrum masters when we come in are eighty yeah. percent of the time the biggest part of the problem because Why? because they're they're advocating for a so just think about like where we started the conversation right if i'm a scrum master yeah. who fundamentally doesn't have or doesn't believe that they have agency to actually remove the impediments that are getting in the way of that team performing and like doesn't, I joke, usually doesn't understand what their job's supposed to be anyway well well like like i joke right i i, I say this live on stage a lot where it's like it's like if you're a scrum master and you don't have agency to change teaming strategies, to align backlogs, to deal with dependencies, to remove organizational impediments, all those different things, right? You don't see it's possible or you don't have the, the ability to do it. Yeah. What do you what do you retrospect on? And so like I'll joke, it's like it's like the idea that like it's like somehow like the secret sauce to delivering software was having a 15-minute daily stand-up meeting and a retrospective where you say, hey, it was really good that Joe brought the donuts last week. Let's have Joe bring the donuts again this week, right? That was a really yeah. big improvement to our team morale, right? And you'll say that as okay. like a joke, but it happens. But how, right? how because, often does that go back yeah. to the structure that you're talking about creating, like the thing that 100% the of the time. 100% okay. of the time, right? So it's not the Scrum Master's fault necessarily. Well, Maybe well partially, it's not, but not totally. Fault, but you've got somebody in a situation where they've been given a job yeah. that they're not fundamentally qualified to do, nor do they have the agency, the influence, or the insight, or whatever, to actually remove the impediments that are material yeah. to delivery, right? It's learning to and, ice skate on just, sand, basically. And they're doing the best they can, right? So, yeah. so. So in organizations that have adopted Scrum or SAFE but haven't done the transformation work to make it work, actually, then right. what happens is you have all these impotent Scrum masters running around being difficult. Um, and, and, it's, um, and like I said, it's, it's not helpful and it's not value-add. Now, would a Scrum master in a well-formed team supporting an organization like – in its delivery and alignment and all those different, like, would that be a valuable, like a hundred percent, it's a valuable role. Yeah. But, but I think like, just like a lot of organizations aren't getting the value out of agile and scrum that they expect, they're also right. not getting the value out of scrum masters that they expect. Yes. And, and this is, this is the classic thing is like, we, we know that the product owner role has been bastardized for a long time, right? Because there's no ownership yep. in these complex environments. It's just really, they're just like the analyst, right? Um, yeah. So we like kind of rebranded uh, in a lot of places our business analysts as as product owners, but they can't actually make authoritative decisions around things. Yeah, like a drive through. So again, right? It's just a, it's an example of of people going through the motions. So but if you, I would get, say the scrum masters also. Right? 
So Scrum Masters don't get the value out of the job either because it's sort of like they're told, hey, you're going to be able to do this thing, but we're not actually going to ever let you do it. But that's what you're supposed sure. to do. For sure. It's disappointing. But, yeah, yeah. but the, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's disappointing. It's frustrating. It probably makes them bitter and jaded. And, and, and you know, you see like it me. manifest as they become very anti-management. They come, yeah. but it's like, but, it, but again, like I think about like, you know, the journey that we've been on over the last 13 years as leading agile and the things that we've had to learn to affect these kinds of organizational changes, right? The level at which we have to get engaged, the, yeah. the value props of the executives that we have to connect to, the, the, the clear understanding of what the enterprise operating model looks like, having yeah. a credible strategy for how you move from point A to point B, right? Um, okay. Kind of the, the second thing that I was, that kind of prompted this line of thinking is, um, you know, I did this, you know, I, I, we talked about it just a second ago, but this, um, this series of content a week or two ago around safe and is it agile and all that kind of things. Yeah. And, and um, this, this woman on LinkedIn was bantering back and forth with me on some things. And, and it was just pretty clear that, that she hadn't experienced what I had experienced. She wasn't wrong in anything mm-hmm. she said, but she just hadn't experienced what I had experienced. And, and, and it was either that or or like her definition uh, definition of success was really wrong. Like like the one thing I think about is because I, I you know, I grew up in agile in a way where we had to get things done and we had to get things done on time. And we had to, right. you know, be able to vary scope to deliver against time and cost constraints. And, we you know, yeah. there's just we're, we're business. Right. We had external customers we were trying to deliver for and all these different things. And they had expectations. And, and so we're, we're managing this stuff really aggressively. And, and it's just like when you've, when you've been in the trenches and you realize that these methodologies, they have to enable organizational performance. They have to produce the results that, that, that the companies are signing up for. And, okay. and I really do believe that a lot of people that are playing this space right now, they've, they've redefined success as are the teams following the rules of Scrum? Are the teams following the rules of Safe? Yeah. They're right? looking at the wrong, like, the wrong metrics. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's a little bit like it's a little bit like um, back in the day, even in, in Waterfall, right, where, you know, you put people in functional silos and you and you run them through Gantt charts and things like that. And everybody starts to lose sight of the value that's being produced. And they go, well, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm here to write lines of code. I'm here to test things. I'm here to write documentation. I'm here to. And my job is to write the best documentation I can write. OK, mm-hmm. Right. But but I don't need the best documentation necessarily. I need the the least amount of documentation that's suitable to purpose to enable the customer value that I'm trying to put in market. Yeah. And, and, that, and that's not you, gone you, away. I taught a private recently and that was yeah. done. Quality was I can check the box. For sure. Right. And, and so I think that's what starts to happen is when people are systematically disempowered or they can't make the changes that are necessary, then they start to redefine success because everyone wants to feel good about what they do every day. Right. So everybody yeah. starts to redefine success as um, I'm doing I'm doing the process and mm-hmm. that's success. Right. Yeah. And and they start to get detached from is the process producing the results that we wanted it to produce. And 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 that's why I think you're starting to see um, a lot of this stuff unwind in certain organizations. And and, and yeah. I think it's appropriately unwinding in a lot of in a lot of places. So, but but the, the thing that I just I want to anchor on it and this I was so for going back to the original point where yeah. we have agile coaches in this world that 
that like, like I'm not saying go die on the battlefield. I'm not saying go piss everybody off to the point where you won't be listened to anymore. Right. But there has to be a strategy for helping people understand if you want to do agile, if you want the benefits of this methodology, if you want the performance characteristics of a well-formed agile team, you right. have to create these conditions. And we have to create the justification and we have to create the, the pathways mm-hmm. to help organizations get there. Because if we give up on that, yeah, then, then what's the point? Like there's just no business value in doing this. Well, all right, so I want to ask you a question about the yeah. future with all yeah, of sure. this in mind. I've been sort of thinking or wondering lately if maybe five, ten years down the road – Nobody t- talks about a difference between waterfall and agile. Like the, the people coming up now, the people that I meet who are really young, they've not yeah. worked in waterfall. So there's just yeah, tools sure. you use and is Scrum yeah. Master slash project manager. Will there actually be outside of DSDM a real agile project manager? Because at the end of the day, who cares if you're agile or not, as long as you're creating a humane workspace and delivering value? Does it even matter? Well, one of the things that I think about a lot with regard to agile is – like, like it, there's definitely, and, and I think maybe even we're seeing, I used to ask all the time, like, how long could we be in business? Like, is Agile a thing for three years? Is it a five-year thing? Is it a 10-year thing? Is it a, you know, whatever, right? Yeah. And, and, and I can see, like, we still have, our phones ring a lot, right? And, and we've got, and, and we're picking up new clients and these are clients you've heard of and like doing cool things. And, and, uh, and, and so there's still, there's still room for it right so it's mm-hmm. i don't think it's dead in that regard but what i i would guess in five or ten years um like we might not be able to say the word anymore the word might be outdated or maybe it's not like a central thing right we're not doing user groups around okay. and stuff like that like you don't have object-oriented user groups anymore right that kind of yeah. thing right it's just like it's just the way that software gets read um but but the idea of organizing around value the idea of encapsulating uh, teams, the idea of operating in small batches, the idea of putting things in the market faster. Um, it's just happening. Like DevOps revolution, right? Digital transformation, yeah. all these different things are happening. Um, it's just, it's messy and nonlinear trying to get there. So do you think so it's think going before, towards system thinking more or, or towards well, change well, management well, more? Well, that's, well, that's the, well, that's the absolute underlying part of this. And that's the reason why, you know, if, if I was doing an agile project and I said, okay, I'm going to go hire a group and I'm going to put six people on it, 10 people, whatever, Scrum Master, product owner, this is how it's going to operate. Inarguable right. that, that Scrum would be, the, would be a superior way of doing that versus waterfall or whatever. Okay. But when you start getting in these complex environments that weren't built from the ground up to be product driven or – or, you know, digital or whatever, right? They weren't built in the ground up to do cloud and DevOps and things like that. Yeah. Um, it is absolutely a systems problem. And, and that's the reason why a scrum master in that environment, because they don't have, they don't have a broad enough view to see how what they do impacts the entire system. Um, mm-hmm. Al Shalloway, you know, years ago, he did a post that was very influential on me. And I want to give credit where credit's due because I got a lot of respect for Al and, and his thinking. And he said something to the effect of like, you know, agile pilots are often very disruptive because you, you go and you create all the conditions to do agile. 
and and then you wrap it in these practices and then you but what happens is is that that doesn't work in alignment with the rest of the system around it right (laughs) and it's like this little bright spot but it's actually threatening to everything else and everything else reacts accordingly and so we we talk about organizational antibodies and things like that but but like that's just a flippant way of saying that we created a local optimization that doesn't work effectively in the context of the broader system yeah and so and so that's what in in the best case in most of these organizations is what you get is you get a well-formed agile team that's operating in a very high performing way but it's incongruent with the rest of the ecosystem around it and so it's yeah. not like the ecosystem is bad and it shuts it down, but it's like you have this thing that isn't congruent with the rest of the operating model. It's so it's so what you have to do on, on some levels, I've talked about a long time ago, this idea of top down, bottom up. So it's like top down intent, bottom up implementation. Right? There's really no way to implement agile in an organization without building teams from the bottom up. Right. I mean, the, the, yeah. the lowest level work surface is team level agile. And then, and then as you start to stack, it's like, okay, in the presence of dependencies, okay, we have to have something to orchestrate that. In the presence of scarce resources, we have to have something to adjudicate prioritization. Um, yeah. in, the, in the presence of corporate initiatives, you have to have something that aligns us with OKRs. And so, and so the, the tiered systems are, are, are what's, what we're attempting to do to do that. And, yeah. and, and again, it's like it gets back to this thing as safe, agile, as scaled, agile, agile. Um, I, I think in five or 10 years, the core principles, the core reference architectural patterns are going to be in place. Like they're going to be, there's nothing that I can see that is a better way of building products. Like, again, it might emerge, right? Maybe I'll help invent it. Right. But it's like, I just don't see it right now, but, but it has to be a holistic system. There's, there's clients that we're working with right now that we're changing the entire it's not just product development, it's, it's product development, everything around it, how they yeah. operationally support things. We had several engagements in the last year that were almost like the product, the IT product development stuff was was almost incidental to the overall thing that we were trying to do. Right. And but again, it's okay. teaming strategies, it's small batches, it's appropriate so metrics. I want to yeah. I want to ask kind of tie it back to pilots and talk about what you just said to, to try yeah. to stretch it out. So when I started doing pilots back in the day, I yeah. thought we're going to spin up these three teams. We're going to make them agile. The company will change. And after yeah. that period of time was over, I realized that wasn't really the point. The point was we're going to start a thing and see how badly it screws up the rest of the company and figure out what we'd have to do to be able to get this stuff to work. And you're talking about organizational transformation where agile is a, is maybe a mechanism that helps it get there, but creating that structure that can foster the culture and the development process and all the other things. I mean, that is like a million miles away in maturity from let's send in three coaches and spin up three pilots. Yeah, right. So so let me see if I can build on what you just said. So So maybe 20 years ago, right, in the early days of this, the belief was is that you show the organization – how this could work and it would like catch fire. Right. And then everybody else would want to do it as well. Right. I'll never eat sugar again. You know, it's, um, you know, it's, it's fascinating, right? Because I think in some ways that's actually proven to be true. Um, because, because if you think about it, 
I mean, think about, is there any company right now that isn't trying to do agile in some form or fashion? Like the stuff that Cundiff did with the Scrum Alliance, the stuff that, um, you know, PMI did around ACP to kind of mainstream agile, you know, the work of people like Alistair and Jim Highsmith and those guys, the work that you guys have been doing, like, like, Mm -hmm. I mean, like everybody's doing it now. Right. It's just that it's just that like I don't think we've and again, it it gets back to this core thing. I don't think we fundamentally appreciated the impact of organizational design and governance and all these different things we're going to have because that stuff is so tightly entrenched because that's how we financially control our companies. Right. That's how that's how we report to Wall Street. And and it's like and it's. It's like it's like it's a pendulum swing. It's almost like it went too far towards almost like anarchy, right? <laughs> Teams decide everything, and yeah. and and I think what we're seeing is it's swinging back a little bit. You know, the third thing I talked about in the last video that I just did um, was a McKinsey article that was talking about it was in effect. It didn't. It wasn't titled this, but it, it like the theme of it was like um, digital transformation is failing, and like why is it failing, okay. and. And, and it was really fascinating to read, right? Because it's, it's failing for the same reason agile transformation is failing. It's like, we think it's a mindset. We think it's a belief. We think it's a behavior. We think it's a this, but, but more often than not, it's a system design problem. And so I've got this blog okay. post in the works that I'm hoping to finalize this week where I was, I was exploring the idea of like, you know, John Cotter's stuff on leading change. And I, I looked up his eight steps and, and I was thinking about it because I read that book 20, 25 years ago and it was really influential on me at the time. But as I've been in the change business now for the last, you know, almost 20 years, 13 with Leading Agile, um, it's, it's like it's not specific enough. Right. So like a guiding coalition of what to do, what um, leading and lagging indicators. What are we actually going to measure? Right. Small wins, like all the different things he talks about. Like all of that stuff is true, but but it has to be very specifically applied to your domain problem. Yeah. And and I think sometimes people read things superficially and they think that like what Cotter's saying is like we need to get people excited, we need to get them enthused, we need to empower them, we need to like whatever. True, but we also have to give them a path. Yeah. Um I think about this book. And then they have to go do the thing. Yeah, I, I, read, I think this book, uh, I think Chip and Dan Heath, I think it was, it was the, um, was it made stick? Oh gosh, um, I don't know. It's the one with the elephant, the rider, and the path, right? Uh, and, and what they're talking about is that, like, um, the metaphor they use, I'm pretty sure it was made to stick. Um, I'm going to look it up while you talk. Yeah, look it up. They'll look it up while we're talking, right? <laughs> um, but the idea is, is that it's like, you, like the elephant is like, if it's you, it's like, it's like your physical carnal desires. If it's an okay. organization, it's like organizational momentum. The rider is like the intellectual thing that wants you to change, right? But the rider okay. only has so much control over the elephant. And at some point, the elephant just does what the elephant does. And then, and then so, you, so you have the path, right? Which is like if you can put the elephant in a path, then the rider can control the elephant and, and get it going, right? And, and I think that's what we, what we miss in transformation. And so like leading Agile's transformation model, like, like we're, we're very attentive to a lot of things, right? So you have to create shared cognition across the organization. 
you have to get everybody aligned on the values and the principles, the underlying patterns, the underlying right. success formula, the physics, right? The first principle stuff. And then, and then you have to um, develop an organizational hypothesis. What is it actually going to look like when we've made the change? Like specifically, okay. right? Specifically, what is it going to look like? And then you have to do pilots. And then you have to prove that your hypothesis is going to work. But, but the pilots have to be broken down. So we use this technique that we kind of coined a while ago. I'm sure we didn't invent it from scratch, right? But this idea of outcomes-based planning, right? So to get like an expedition to a base camp, we have like 10, 12 different intermediate outcomes, which we can put into a Kanban and, and kind of flow through the system. We have activities, okay. right? So what we're trying to do is we're trying to get not only our coaches and consultants, um, in alignment with the change agents in the company, so okay. all operating on the same page so that they can show up to work and have a very clear idea of what they're doing. But all of those leading indicators result in something that actually changes the performance characteristics of the organization. Okay. And, and, so, and so as I read this McKinsey article, I was thinking the same thing, right? Like digital transformation is failing for the same reason agile transformation is failing. Um, we've had a couple of really interesting opportunities recently, like DevOps and um, digital transformation are on my mind because we've been in a bunch of rooms recently. And what we're starting to, to see is that those things are just shades of the same problem. Yeah. They're, they're, basically, they're basically structure governance and metrics problems. They're change management problems. They're systems thinking problems. They're design thinking problems. And, and again, you know, we live in a, you know, obviously a market economy where, where, you know, people build software to solve these problems. And so we think, then we start to think that buying a tool is going to solve it for us or, yeah. or sending people to training classes is going to solve it for us. Yeah. And, and, and again, in almost every case, it's like, it requires a rethink of the organizational design and the operating model. It, it is a um, you have to be a very thoughtful, specific transformation plan for how you're going to get there. Right. And then the changes that you make have to be justified economically, either in cost savings, capitalization, value density, right. you know, getting things in market faster, charging money for it earlier. Right. So it all has to be economically justified. And and. And the, the days of the days of saying, yeah, just trust me, this agile, agile stuff is magic. Train everybody and, and it will all work. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, I think we've just been around that block for a long time. But but the fascinating thing is, is, is until we recognize the underlying patterns of change and that these these rules are somewhat immutable, we're just making the same mistakes with the next rev. You know, you think before agile, we had. Lean Six Sigma, we had critical chain project management, yeah. we had all kinds of different things. Now, post Agile, you know, we have digital transformation, enterprise transformation, business transformation, DevOps transformation, right? All shades of the same problem, all failing yeah. for the same reasons. And I think it's failure to align around core architectural principles, values, um, patterns, um, failure to create a um, an in-state operating model that you believe will okay. work and then failure of a transformation strategy for how to implement that operating model that has leading and lagging indicators. And is that economically justified on the backside? Mm -hmm. So, so like I said, 90%, 95% of the conversations we have start with, Hey, we're trying to adopt agile, but, 
But 95% of what we're talking about has nothing to do with Agile. Yeah. It has to do with org design and alignment and aligning around value and small batches and, you know, coherence. And I mean, it's just, it's, it's fascinating where it's going. So I want to ask you a question about this. Yeah. Um, it's going to take me a second to get to the question though. That's cool. Frederick Taylor and, and Henry Gantt and those guys were solving a specific, a specific set of problems that we had in the yeah. early 1900s. Yeah. Um, they created new problems that when the computer age showed up became like a massive issue and agile evolved as a thing that is trying to course correct or, or be the antidote for the problems created by scientific management applied to work. Mm -hmm. it, it creates all these new sicknesses. Now we're trying to get everybody to do agile and to, or to see that whether you call it agile or not, change the way you work, empower teams, work in small groups, all the things you said we're at the beginning of an age where artificial intelligence is going to completely transform the work landscape, all new kinds yeah. of jobs, all new kinds of problems. Yeah. And I'm just wondering 50 years from now or 30 years from now, is it going to be the same conversation, but people are going to be talking about how agile is the thing that, God, how do we get rid of that? You know, like I, I don't think so. Right. Um, Okay, so I'm, I'm winging it here a little bit, yeah. um, thinking through your question. You know, like I would imagine, right, obviously wasn't around in the early 1900s, but if you think about the classes of problems that we were trying to solve, maybe manufacturing cars, building houses, building bridges, things like that. Getting um, people to work harder. Yeah, that feels like, you know, like you're, you're basically it's, it's a little bit like what Schwaber talks about in. Um, oh, gosh, I always forget the name of it. The red, green, yellow, blue book that they read. <laughs> I, I'm going yeah, to put that book right here because yeah, you talk, about, I, it all I the talk time. about it every third episode. And, and I can never talks find about, it on my bookshelf. He, he talks about predictive process control versus empirical process control. And, and, and what I think was happening a lot, or as I think all of that stuff back in the day was really around predictive process control, right? These were things that were inherently predictable. And right. what we were, what we were trying to do is get efficiency. Um, what I think has changed over the last hundred years is that, um, you know, it's largely software driven and software can be soft, right? It can change really fast. And yeah. then it's also, gotten so entwined with the business, right? It becomes the way that the business operates or yeah. it enables its operations. And now like the pace of business is changing so fast, right? And so yeah. the need, the need to put things into market and to get feedback and to inspect and to adapt, like yeah. I don't see a world where that goes away. Like, I just don't see okay. a world where, and, and again, I don't mean, I, I but I hope the I'm pace not, at which it happens is going to have to increase like 50 fold. Well, well, so sure. Right. And I, and I imagine with, with AI or whatever, it will, it will, we will figure out ways to go even faster. Right. Um, but, but I'm not trying to be like overly dualistic here. There might be something way in the middle, but it's like, but it's like, it, it's like if we, like, we're not going to go back to waterfall. Like mm -hmm. there's just no world in which big upfront planning is the answer, right? Feeling like we have all the answers and get all the requirements up front, right? There might be a right. niche for that in some places, right? But I don't, I don't see us in mass going back to that. Right. Um, so I think some mechanism 
for um, inspecting and adapting, rolling wave planning, progressive elaboration, incremental and iterative development. Like that feels to me like that is an immutable truth. Okay. Whether whether in 15 or 20 years we think that Scrum is the best way to achieve that, well, who knows, right? Yeah. Um, but again, there will be – like, again, like, I mean, all Scrum is is like, okay, let's get together with somebody and let's like, talk about what we're going to do for the next couple of weeks and then let's check in with each other and then let's actually deliver something. Like, it's it, <laughs> it's not know? rocket surgery. Yeah, it's yeah. not – yeah, it's, it's not like – and again, right? I mean maybe we don't call it Scrum. Maybe we don't call it XP. Maybe the names or methodologies change. But, but I don't fundamentally see – I don't fundamentally see the principles changing. It's so yeah. so if I had to like – you know, maybe it's just we're in this – you know, I, I think about this a lot. Like maybe we're like in a transition state here a little yeah. bit where, you know, we have legacy companies that have been around for 100, 150 years um, or, or even companies that, you know, you think about like there's systems that were built in the early days of computers that are still in production today. Yeah. Right. People that built those original systems are still alive. Yeah. Um, like, like I suspect, and, and I've contextualized the work that we do at Leading Agile sometimes. It's like, like, we, do we objectively, measurably help companies be more effective? A hundred percent. But if I go up a level and I go like meta, like what are we doing for the industry? I think mm-hmm. what we're doing is, you know, we're educating like the next the next level of leaders, the next generation of leaders that will come in and they, and just like you said earlier, they've never experienced waterfall. They never experienced functional silos. Mm-hmm. They, they don't have a sense for why you would even ever do that. And at some point, all of us will die or retire or whatever. And then people that have grown up in this will figure out even better ways of doing it. Yeah, but it's like, but so so I can contextualize it. It's like, sure, let's help the companies be successful that are in place today. But over yeah. time, new companies will come that are built from the ground up like this. So to yep. some degree, you know, we're operating on two levels. We are we're helping the companies that are in place, but we're also educating the next round of leaders that will start their own companies or yeah. become CEOs or whatever. And they'll be like, well, this just doesn't make any sense, right? Why would we do it yeah. the way that we did it in the 50s or the 60s, right? Yeah. They'll and be so, looking at the banks like, what the hell are you thinking? Yeah. Like what was going on, right? And they'll lose all historical context. And and then at <laughs> some judge. point we'll just be doing – we'll just be organizing around value and, and, and TikTok you know, videos. We don't have dependencies. <laughs> and, but, but the other side of that, the other side of that, which which I do think is really interesting, is that is that I don't know that um, – you know, like I, like I, th- I think a lot about like if I were teaching, um, like if I were building curriculums for students, yeah. right? I mean, that this is actually a problem. Like I've been thinking about this idea. Of, I use the word dualistic. I've been thinking of this idea of dualism, non-dualism, um, a lot, and 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 I think that our our um, education system really prioritizes for right, wrong, have the right answer, wrong answer, right? Very static, very linear. Um, you know, I think we have to start teaching systems theory. I think we have to start thinking yeah. about how do we manage risk? How do we deal with ambiguity? How do we deal with uncertainty? How do we deal with abstraction? Because that's that's the play, right? It's like, like I think about on our engagement slide, I, I tell this to people. It's like, and I used to think about this when I was a project manager back in the day. And I would say, like, all of the real work happens in between the lines on the Gantt chart. Like, the Gantt yeah. chart's like a representation, it's like the difference between a map and the terrain, 
right? It's kind of yeah. a map, kind of says like where we're supposed to be. But it's it a wrong map, yeah. But it Poorly doesn't. But it map. doesn't like fully. It doesn't like fully um, capture all of the different stuff and the conversations and everything that has to be worked yeah. out. Right? It just doesn't. And and I think about that like on our engagements. It's like you have a. You know, like I'll say, like we have a deliverables view. So maybe we've we've agreed in the contract to produce a certain set of artifacts. Don't mm-hmm. like to have to do that, but sometimes we have to do that. And then there's there's that, right? And then there's the the things that we do structurally to run an engagement, outcomes-based plans, expeditions to base camps, executive steering committees, transformational leadership teams, like all the different cadences we do to run an engagement. Right. Mm-hmm. And but then there's like, but then there's like the what's really going on. Right. There's messiness. Right. Because it's all messy and okay. all of the planning and all those things are just abstractions of the messiness. They're simplifications of the messiness. Yeah. And, and so like teaching people how to understand that there's like multiple games being played simultaneously. Yes, we have to produce the deliverables so that the finance yeah. procurement group will pay us. We have to be delivering against the outcomes-based plan because our stakeholders need to see the progress that we're making. And they need to see improvement on assessments over time. Right? Okay. But, if we, but if we're not tracking towards the ultimate performance of the company and the business objectives, then we're going to fail. Yeah. And if we're not doing all the messy work to manage the stakeholders and the emotions and the fears and the uncertainty and all those things, right? Yeah. Um, you know, like sometimes I'll be talking to like one of my consultants on the ground or, oh, everything's going really great. And then I'll talk to like one of my senior leaders and they're like, well, but there's this problem, that problem, this problem, this. And it's like it's like both are true. It is going really great. But, but yet there's really concerns going on. Right. So, so it's just so messy. Right. Maybe kind of going back to like where we started. Maybe the thing is that now the technology is going to give us the ability to look at three dimensions of metrics at once, to look at the emotional aspects as well as the change, ability to handle change, as well as all the other stuff we're trying to look at and have been trying to look at for years. Maybe now we're going to have tools that will help us see like the minority report version of how these things all fit together. Yeah, I hope I hope so. Right. Um, You know, my experience with most human beings and, and I'll use this, I'll use Scrum as an example. Right. Like you go back and you look at like that book I keep referencing that I can never remember the name of. Switch. Um, or oh Alistair. no, the Schwaber book. Oh, the Switch. Yeah, Switch. Not made a stick. Switch. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, I'll Perfect. look up the Schwaber book now. Yeah, the Schwaber book and the early Alistair work. Right. There's so much rich. There's again, I just I feel so thankful that I got introduced in the agile community during the time I did in the early 2000s, because I got to you know all those books were being written and published during that time. And you get like you get access to the thinking in real time and yeah. and you're part of this early stage movement. And it's exciting and, and you just devour all that stuff and it becomes part of your DNA. But over time, Ag- it gets reduced. It gets reduced to a set of rules. Right. Agile and, software and development with Scrum. Sorry. Uh, yeah. Agile software development with Scrum. Yeah. Cool. So it's like so it's like. So like what's what Scrum did. So the, the beauty and the 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 awfulness of the CSM stuff is is that it really made these ideas mainstream, captured captured the imagination of a lot of people, helped a lot of people get jobs, like super positive, all really good. The downside of it is that you have people that are um, just casually acquainted with the material and they've mm-hmm. reduced it, they've reduced all this richness to a 20-page document that you can get trained on in two days. Yeah. And and I think that was the debate I was having with the with the woman on LinkedIn. It's like if her experience with Agile 
is I went to safe training. I'm an SPC. This is how you do agile because Dean Leffingwell said so. And this is the prescription. And, and, you know, and, and my definition of success is I know how to run safe. Then you're like, (laughs) you're like, okay, good luck with that. But (laughs) the reality is, is that, is that, is that all of these other things have to come together to actually get the benefit of it. And so, so I don't know, that's just what's noodling around in my head right now is this idea that, um, yeah, so let's connect it to the very first thing I asked you, right? It, it's sad to me this deep into it that people (laughs) have given up on the idea that forming the right kinds of agile teams is possible. Yeah. And, and I'm going to, I'm going to make it a little bit of a mission this year to, you know, put some content out to really talk about why it's not only possible, but absolutely necessary. And how, Um, how would be great. And how do you, how do you get there? Yeah. I mean, that's probably that, you know, I I kind of passingly mentioned the thing with Kimmy. I know you're, you know, you and I are close. So we, we, we talk periodically. I know, you know, that whole story, um, probably the rest of the community doesn't know it as much. In uh, 18, my wife got diagnosed with chronic myeloid leukemia. It went to blast crisis and, and presented as acute lymphocytic leukemia. Ended up going through a bone marrow transplant. She's three years post-transplant and like totally awesome. But um, and so like for a long time, what my marketing team was doing was taking just old stuff and, and just like and then repurposing it and trying to keep us in market and everything. Um, but we've been doing a lot of stuff for the last four or five years that has been really, really game changing. Um and uh, so I'm going to make a commitment to, to try to get more of that stuff out in market because because I think we've kind of cracked the code on how to do it and how to do it safely. And yeah. Um, yeah. And so and so I want to get people to believe that that, again, not only is it possible, but it's absolutely essential if we want to stay in this game. Um, either that or somebody else is going to take these ideas and turn it into something else and put a whole bunch of different labeling on it and stuff like that. And it will make a million dollars things and it'll probably fail for the same fundamental reasons. But, (laughs) but it's like, there is a way, like there's a way to do it. We do it. Right. I mean, people call us, we do it and it works every single time. And so, um, yeah. So anyway, but, but I think we have to get, but the frustrating part is we have to get people to believe it's possible. We have to get people to believe there's a way. And, 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 and I think we have to get past this notional idea that, that agile is just about empowering teams and, and just letting the teams figure it out. Yeah. There's something that, um, Brian Merrick, is that his name? Um, and it was Brian Merrick. Um, and Jeff Sutherland were doing a talk at a scrum gathering. It was a scrum gathering you and I were at together. Maybe it was like filled in for a talk you were supposed to do or something like that. It seems like that, that happened. Okay. Um, but I remember sitting in the room and they said something like it was, it was a really kind of esoteric content because Brian Merrick, and if, I hope I'm not getting his name wrong, was, was he's like an architect, like an uber architect guy. And he said something like self-organization was never intended to go outside of class boundaries or something like that. And 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 what it, like what he was really saying was that our idea of self-organization was always within the container of the object. It was always within the purview of the team. Self-organization okay. was about letting the team decide how the work got done within the team. I don't think that it was ever like, oh, OK, we're going to self-organize a complex system at scale or we're going to we're going to self-organize refactoring, you know, a complex thing at scale with no design intent or whatever. Yeah. You know, so it's like, yes, I just think we're just in a funny place. It's like where everything is still possible and everything's still out in front of us. But um, but I think the Android community in some ways has kind of worked its way into a corner. Yeah, it's in a little bit of a rut. 
stuck in a corner and we don't think it's possible to change, then what the fuck are we doing around here? You know what I mean? So yeah, yeah. I think I think you yeah. characterize it really well. I think there is a sort of malaise. People have lost faith in the possibility of change. We yeah. need to create that for yeah. them again. Yeah. Cool. But it's possible. So I'm gonna I'm gonna put we're, we'll we'll talk about you it. Need one of those Ted Lasso one. believe signs behind you now. There you go, man. There you go. Okay. <laughs> Well, awesome. Cool. Well, thanks for having me, man. Thanks, I'm Mike. heading off uh, heading off to Florida. My wife and I have been married 29 years as of Sunday, so we're going to celebrate that. Cool. Congratulations, and and Kimmy, thank you for your patience with this man. I, I tell you, man, it's it's amazing. <laughs> like she's like I've had to grow up over like 30 years, and and uh, yeah, yeah. So she's got the patience of a saint, and she's been an awesome partner, and I'm happy she's healthy. And uh, so yeah, so we're going to go down cool. to we're going well, to happy music anniversary. Concert. Thank you. We're going down to a music festival in Fort Lauderdale, and um, we both like Kenny Chesney. I'm not a huge country fan, but I like Kenny Chesney. And so he's headlining the festival on the third night, um, and that's actually our anniversary on the 16th. So I'm excited. Cool. It's going to be cool. Yeah, man. All awesome. right. Okay. Well, thanks, thanks Dave. Talk to you soon, man. Yep. Bye. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye.